0: What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You are watching. You are listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. To my right,
1: Mr. Matt Welty. I feel like right now it's like you have a workout you're doing, and there's 10 seconds left, and you have X amount of reps you need to finish within the 10 seconds. And you came in a little frazzled. (laughs) You're scrambling (laughs) to get it done, but you know what? We did it all.
0: And you're here. The laces your laces are tied. Finally, it it was you came into the office, and (laughs) it was okay. It was like a whirlwind, but we are here. To my left, devil. on one side, we have someone who is a little frazzled, and this guy couldn't be more relaxed. Mr. Brendan Dunn, how are um, we doing? I'm
2: here. wealthy. I want to know about the rest of this workout. you got to hit, hit us with 10 push-ups real quick or do some burpees. Uh, yeah. or, or the workout is complete, metaphorically? Yes, the workout is complete, metaphorically. Okay, no burpees. Uh, we did some burpees this morning. Oh, we, we, we already, we already <laughs> well, have Well That, that,
1: that stuff's already done, but uh, all the
2: work behind the scenes I had to get. a lot of work behind the scenes we're we're running around we're doing a lot of stuff you know sometimes we have to cram in sometimes we don't have time i I was eating cold nachos for lunch today as anything some some leftovers yeah you know guacamole beans and you know i'm a i need to get back into nachos really heavily shout out to chris schoenberger and nick schoenberger oh uh, nacho hunters first we feast and nike respectively Two friends of the program. I think we can call them friends of the program. Is that yes? Sense?
0: I mean, I would call them family of the program. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, <And laughs> friends. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not they realize it, um, yeah. two huge nacho enthusiasts. Two Leftover nachos supported. are tricky though. Yeah, it's a little soggy. You might yeah. en- you might end up with some uh, chili keales before your. Uh...
0: Okay, it would morph into that. Okay. Yeah, I you got to
2: you, you might have to bring out some fresh, crispy chips to replace the soggy ones that are going on. In Are they the same nachos? Are they leftover nachos at that point? Or is that just a new batch of nachos with old Hmm. ingredients? Wow. I don't know. Um, It's like that Japanese technique that they used as inspiration for the sakai LD waffle. I think it's called kintsugi, right? Little new, little old. Where the the ceramics breaks and and you have to refashion it. Oh, yes. yes, yes. You know, something like that. I hope I said the kintsugi. Is that right? Do you have any idea? I
1: I, I don't know.
2: I hope I'm right. Also, why are you set tripping with that hat? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> so wait, so <laughs> hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Yeah, yeah. People
0: off camera, people asked about the hat.
2: What? What? Which hat?
0: I saw so- your hat.
2: My hat. Yeah, oh, I said today, it's a today. vintage yeah, yeah, hat. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. it.
0: It's it's a vintage hat, but oh. some people think it's this is not an ad.
2: Oh, oh. Wealthy's been very focused on set tripping lately. Okay. <laughs> it, it comes up a lot, full size, right? What he says
0: it, he says it a lot. You know, he what he does though is he picks words and he sticks with them for a few months.
2: Okay. A wealthy, to be fair, that is a valid criticism. I did not even think about how I have the AT and T logo on my head. And of course, Complex Network is owned by the Verizon and Hearst. Right joint venture. Right. So well, that's, that, that's that's a fair criticism. That's not
1: even what we were I was talking about.
2: What were you talking about? The fact that full size run mm-hmm. is sponsored by Simple Mobile and you're wearing an at&t <laughs> wow. hat <laughs> Wow. This is not full size run. That's true. I, I love the people well, you're Simple a Mobile, guy though. A team player? <laughs> <laughs> the, apparently this hat was a big Should I are you sending a message? He's
0: sending a message right now? Okay, uh, does, no. He's sending a message.
2: Okay. does cap. my hair look okay or should I do the hoodie up? I think mean, you should stick with the hat. <laughs> no, the hat's gone. Does the hair look okay? Yeah. Uh, Put the hoodie up. The hoodie up the whole episode? Like
0: hoodie, so. Hoodie mellow? No. No, no, not hoodie mellow. Hoodie done, no. Okay. Hoodie's fine. Hoodie
2: down, no hat? Yeah, you, you good. You, I hope you're happy now, Wealthy. Are you <laughs> happy? You look happy. I'm, He's smiling. <laughs> um, as long as you're <laughs> He's happy. laughing. As long as you're happy. <sighs>
0: you're
2: you got great. a nice New England fit on today. Yeah, I was you, up in New England. This is a New England fit. You had a nice New England
1: weekend. Yeah, Nice New England weekend. Saw my parents for the first time and well, my sister. Um, for the husband. first time since no no, no in just in a while just okay, in a while okay. um but yeah
2: went up to new hampshire took the amtrak loved the amtrak how, how was there? it for you good did uh, you get the sleeper car i know you were debating no the sleeper, be- car. Car. The sleeper car do you guys okay go ahead
1: i was gonna do sleeper car and i was debating it and on the way down like one because i had a red eye
0: sleeper car from here to new hampshire
1: yeah how the, long is the fl- how long the, it was is like, the trip it was like eight hours but hold on it was an overnight it was an overnight situation so i was Got gonna it. get it and mm-hmm. i was like do i get business or a sleeper because you can't sleep in coach like that just doesn't happen okay i <laughs> have a story but go ahead <laughs> so i i go to check it and i'm like oh it's two fifty one one way uh, uh-huh. not so bad for the sleeper car for the sleeper car mm-hmm. and i was like and i think brendan had actually talked me into it have doing you ever done it, it? Yeah, I have. Uh, okay, I, I took but, a lot of Amtrak growing up. So did I. We're but the next, next the next morning, yep. I go to check the sleeper car again. Four hundred and fifty dollars one way, and because, I was you, I almost
2: did a spit take for you real you, quick. You
0: could have went to Teeterboro for that. Get a I know, and I was like,
2: uh-uh, <laughs> uh, nope, nope, nope. So, so you were in coach? No, I was in business class. <laughs> okay. Never. Okay,
0: so my mom doesn't fly has never flown really yeah, we
1: talked about this on the premium pete yes A- never flown. we
0: did amtrak to florida west palm yeah Beach. yeah how long is that joe d- 37 S- hours supposed to be 24 hours but it was late yeah. continue it was always late yeah
2: huh right the kanye song.
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> i didn't hear that my mom has never flown so we we went to florida every year and her and I, and my sister sometimes would take the train, 24 hours, it's supposed to be from Penn Station to like West Palm Beach. It was always sleeper late, car. 28 hours, no sleeper car. No sleeper car ever. And I also remember, which I think I told in the Premium Peach episode yeah. of this, they had a smoking car, so
3: to Iconic. get to the cafeteria, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would
0: have to walk through the smoking car and your clothes would just come out smelling like cigarettes. But so many years on the Amtrak.
2: Yeah. I, I'm, I had no idea that we had an extended Amtrak discussion on this podcast before. We really do cover it all the I Premium Pete. He said yeah. that uh
1: he said that he um he wore like Stan Smith's on the Amtrak or something. He was he talking about like, those I-95 like, like trips, flexing
2: his flexing his shoes or <laughs> something uh, like that. We used to take it so I, I never did a sleeper car until like the, the last year. Um but but growing up we would take it a lot from North Idaho to Portland and back the Empire Builder How train. Long? Um, it's about ten hours okay. or so, and you would get on the train in the middle of the night, and then wake up in the in the gorge in the Columbia River Valley, which is a, a beautiful sight
1: as the sun breaks. I feel like in that like part of the country, like getting on the train, you're gonna like hop in a car like off off the track, like hobo <laughs> status or something. What is the
0: sleeper car like though? Is it nice? Uh yeah, it's better than coach. With the and then I remember cram. one year they put TVs. On the on the track? track, yes, and I was wow. like, "This is really now." I never, we I never luxurious. experienced that. I never but experienced sleep, that. But sleeper car,
2: yeah. Th- I think there's usually in the small ones, even there's two bunks, okay, on the top and bottom. But it's still you're very, um, your space. It's it's very rectangular, okay. You know, it's not a big square. It's very you portioned. Can move around, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But. Then I remember in the middle of the night, in the middle of the trip, I think Rocky Mount, North Carolina, mm-hmm. yeah is where there was like an hour layover oh
2: the worst and spokane washington you just hang out there you just it's an hour for layover in minutes. the middle
0: of the night so when like hour you're trying to go to sleep you, it just stops and like people get off and it's like
2: people smoking you're never gonna chilling. sleep yeah so
0: the, and then rocky mountain north carolina is when you would realize ha, are we on time are we not on time yeah. and always we were not on time so. yeah
2: joe joe i want to mention another thing that maybe we'll bring back some childhood memories for you I, i've been on this pursuit eating a lot more italian food than okay. i usually do lately and i was out in corona queens this past week okay. at parkside restaurant okay and i don't know if you've been there but it never was, been it was a treat uh we went we went to get the lemon ice king of corona right afterward which also quite a treat doing the whole routine <laughs> yeah man. i love it yeah man but I did, it was so funny that just the experience and all the people there right behind us the whole time there was this pretty intoxicated guy with an italia hat on and he was the the lines he had were so iconic he, like, he, he said like if, if he told the waiter something along the lines of if, if there's no chicken cacciatore i'm leaving this fucking restaurant we're right just fooling around right <laughs> yeah. if it's not uh, al dente uh, we're sending the pasta yeah. back and then at oh. one point I, I, was, I was there with a friend <laughs> at one point he got up and he kind of walks by our table because we were right by him and, you know, he's walking kind of like Vince McMahon would, you know, kind of. Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah, and he's at our table and he looks at my friend has carbonara, mm-hmm. which is that a good order in an Italian restaurant? That's or is it, good. Heavy. Is that yeah, valid? Because I didn't yeah, know. Of course. So the guy looks and he goes, he, t- he turns. So he's positioned right eyes. he goes, carbonara. God bless. Uh, <laughs> and then we, then walks away. <laughs>
0: that's a weird thing to say. I think that's a my dad. I, I didn't know if that, if
2: that meant that he. Respected the order, didn't respect the order, or it's like good luck with that one sort of situation. Well, it's just
0: carbonara is heavy. You think of like fettuccine, which is heavy. Carbonara is like that, but like with pancetta, like
1: Italian bacon in it, you know? Mm. So good though. Yeah. Speaking of bringing the feeling back, I know you guys had briefly brought up my trip to New England. On the way back, taking the Amtrak, I didn't Mm -hmm. even pay attention to what the schedule was. Mm so. Um, I, there was a train I took from New Hampshire to Boston, and then from Boston to New Jersey. Okay, there was like a three-hour gap in between the trains. I had to like get off at one train and then go to another station and take it. So I had three hours to kill in Boston at around like eleven o'clock in the morning. And I was like, "Well, they used to spend so much time here. What am I gonna do? You go you see know? Dion Point? Uh, yeah, did you check no, in with he's the concepts I, people. Yeah, I think well, I think they're a little further out, okay, like in Cambridge area. So like that wouldn't have really worked. Um, so I was like, I need to go outside, touch the people. Um, <laughs>
0: okay. First out- off the Amtrak. Yeah, be outside. <laughs>
1: um, so I used to work at this store briefly in downtown crossings, which is like Boston's downtown area. It's okay. not like the, the, the higher end shops, mm. you know, um, but there was a lot of sneaker stores um in there and the footlocker there used to be booming.
2: Like, and that's the footlocker you worked at?
1: For a bit. Like I w that wasn't like the store I worked at full time, but I like yeah. worked there like more than a handful of times. Yeah. When I first started and that store was like the highest volume like one of the highest volume stores mm-hmm. in New England. They had like all the shoes and like being there just felt like in two thousand eight just felt like like uh you know kind of electric, you know yeah, yeah so you like, were
2: at the center of something.
1: Yeah. And I went there and like just to like, I want I'm like, I need to go back, yeah. you know? And I go there and <laughs> yeah, I was like I I You I was, kids don't even know. Yeah, you know? exactly. I was disappointed because you know I, I don't know if it's like pandemic or anything like sure, that. It was but empty? like yeah, there was well, like- it was fa-
0: wasn't it Father's Day?
2: Uh no, this was
1: day this was oh, okay. Monday. But yeah, there yeah. was
2: like no, but there was like two people in the store. Mm. And were you disappointed to see kind of the the total lack of energy? Yes, I was like,
1: oh man!
2: But but when you stepped in, did the memories flood over you? Were you, were you could you remember people bringing in worn shoes, trying to exchange them, and, yeah. and things like that? You
0: remember doing the bogos, <laughs> the buy one
2: stories, get one socks? Yeah. I think I I think I told you guys there was like a there were, at the time there was like a
1: guy he brought in a. fake. Pair of Scarface Air Force Ones, not the black and white split ones, Mm -hmm. but like a pair of Air Force Ones that had Pacino. No, that had that had uh, Tony Montana like with the gun, like screen printed on the (laughs) side. (laughs) screen printed (laughs) on the side of the shoe. Um, They had to tell the guy.
2: certain this is not. Yeah, they had to tell the the guy. You're you're the one who was like, "Listen."
1: He was like trying to return the shoes, and they had like explained to him why they're not legit. So went there. Yeah. I, was, I was disappointed because there was another uh, regional sneaker store called Expressions that was across okay. the street, but I think they were closed for. And this is a chain type of thing. In New England, yeah, for Along renovations. And all I remember is going to Expressions back in the day, and they had all the gino Green. Gino, Gino yeah, Green yeah, Global yeah, with, with, on the yeah, wall. Yeah, is yeah. it a G or is it a nine? Yeah. No one ever knows. <laughs> uh, shout out
2: Papoose for that one. Yeah. Oh course. yeah, yeah. All, the yeah. all over. Yeah, Jazz. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. You can See those in the pages of Double XL yes. frequently. Yes. frequently. Yes. Frequently,
1: and then the other place I ended up going to was Bodega, of which course. I had not been in a while, but yeah. it you was. Thank them for the New Balances. Every, I I felt so
2: weird because I wasn't planning on it.
1: You but wore them. I had them on, oh, I had, and I was yeah, like, "Yeah, oh. right." You definitely, planned although it. I did wearing I didn't, the
2: band's tour merch to the show. I felt so weird because I walk
1: in <laughs> and like people are definitely like the workers were like looking down because the shoes like just came out. Looking
2: down, they were looking at your face like, "Oh my god, it's!" Wow, it's, I, it's, I didn't know. Any get, pics? I, did did you take any pictures? Didn't get recognized okay. at all. At Bodega? Okay. Nope. Oh but, my god! Even I mean, though they were, sent me the shoes, did
1: not get recognized. Everyone working in the store had the 990s on, so I was like, oh. They thought
2: you were the intern? Yeah.
1: The <laughs> <laughs> <Your laughs> shift in doesn't start till four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But yeah, uh, it was good. I hadn't, I hadn't been there in ages. Did seven. you buy anything? You've been there. You shot uh, Robert
1: Crafts yes, for shopping. We did I've actually Kraft never there.
2: been to Bodega in Boston. I've been to the LA one, but.
0: Bodega was my first byline in Complex really? 50 words. 50 words. It must have been 2006 or 2007. It was a sidebar of a sidebar. Mm-hmm. And I used to do like help out on the store guide pages. And yeah. Bodega was the first byline I've had. Actually, it wasn't a byline even. It, it was, was the first unattributed time, first little time I ever wrote in the magazine. And I remember. What what, what year? Oh, it must have been. I think it was the Pharrell Clips issue where Pharrell is like. So it must have been when the store first opened in 2006. Very. Okay. It was around 2006. Definitely. And I remember there were. Being so secretive about pictures, mm-hmm. so like they wouldn't even send the pictures because of the, you know, the Snapple machine. And
1: well, they knows. used to have they used to have a sign there, like because the sna- everyone knows Bodega, they were known for having the the Snapple secret machine entrance mm-hmm. that yeah. like you know it was kind of like an electric door or whatever, sliding door, and they'd be like, no pictures allowed yep. in front of like the most iconic thing and you know what i'm not 100 sure but i don't think i'm not sure the snapple machine was still there really
2: was it still secret? is it still a hidden door to get in
1: i mean so you, oh, you never, i've never been i've, so you I've walk been to in, the la awesome. one you walk in, the la
2: one is in you, like a gr- an old uh produce warehouse I've never okay been and the it's kind of hidden one. where so, you have to go through this little mm, hallway you
1: walk in and it's on uh clear Clearway Street, which is off of... Ma- so Mass Ave is like the main... Yeah, I know nothing about okay, Boston. Okay, so, so it's like the main street going uh, to Boston. And then it's like Newberry Street is like mm-hmm. two blocks up where like all the high-end stores yes, are. Yes, I That's know That's where Carmeloo... All- Johnny Cupcakes. All that yes. stuff. So it's like, it's not too far away from there. So it's like two blocks away from Newberry Street, but it's like on a side street. Yep. I remember. And it's next to a Christian science reading room Mm. of all things. And it's like a it's unmarked, but and they had like the windows stocked with like, you know, tied and all that sort of stuff. Paper
0: towels, I think. Yeah, Yeah. And
1: I think when you went in there Back in the day, it was more like the actual bodega sort of. They
2: did more to make it look like like, a bodega. Yeah, but
1: now it's like you go in there and it's like it kind of looks like a bodega, but they're selling all bodega branded Mm -hmm. like merch within the actual bodega. Gotcha. Where before I think they used to sell more like actual like paper towels and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, You could buy them?
0: Yeah. Yeah, full
1: fledged bodega. Oh yeah. yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, like they used to say when the store first opened that like old ladies used to go in there and didn't know it was a sneaker store in the back. What an amazing concept though, honestly. Yeah. Like
0: another thing we have to address the elephant in the room. The nets are out of the playoffs. Sorry. We're sorry.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm devastated.
0: Bless you. How did you (laughs) I was on a flight coming home from Florida and I planned the flight to the game. Yeah. So it was 8.30 flight Yeah, and made it the whole game. Then it went to overtime. Wait, you were watching
2: the game on the flight? Yeah. Satellite and was crispy?
0: It was crispy until overtime and then it froze with like a minute left in overtime and I didn't know who won the game. So I had to like search Twitter and then found out. But I planned the flight perfectly to the game. What a game. How are you doing?
2: How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> are you yeah, doing? as you can imagine, I'm crushed um, because I have been a <clears throat> excuse me a Brooklyn Nets fan for so long mm-hmm. for... You know, most I mean of, I mean you used to be the white Kyrie, that I, right? That I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I actually kind of did the opposite of you, Joe, in that I did not plan my evening around the game at all. Okay. Because I, I had a, a pre wedding event to go to for some friends, kind of a bachelor bachelorette okay. thing, like a party bus, things of that nature. So we were very much in the club, in in the dancery with the with the iPhone propped up, Watch watching, okay. yeah, streaming streaming the Nets game as it as it went into overtime and as as it settled um in in such a tragic fashion and yeah I'm I'm upset you know it took me a long time to kind of get back to a place where I could really talk about it yeah you know but here we are and I'm talking about it
1: I was reading a tidbit this morning about Kevin Durant which is so crazy I don't know if you guys saw it because Brendan's always joked that Katie's feet look like sub sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. When did he say that? It's not a joke. No, with the low because he has like the low top shoe and his feet are yeah. yeah. so yeah. long, and his legs are so skinny. But he said that he likes his shoes to feel like weightless on his feet, so mm-hmm. he actually plays in a whole size bigger than his actual play, actual man. wearing size. So Kevin Durant wears a size 17, but he plays in a size now, eight, 18. Let, let me ask
2: you: When you played at the Garden? Yeah, and you know when you were you did you go true to size in that game? Yes. Okay. Did, <laughs> TTS.
1: You, you prefer
0: did true you? to size.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> Another sporting event though that he was attending. Which. The softball game. Shout-outs to Ben Felderstein, oh, who yeah. represented The Foot
2: Locker Champs
0: Yes, the Foot
1: Locker. Uh,
2: Foot Locker Kids was also involved. Yeah, All-Star. Yeah, softball game at the Brooklyn Cyclone softball stadium out there at Coney Island.
0: You didn't participate, though. Did they ask you to suit up? Did you have a done jersey in the locker room, and you just said, no thanks, or, or what?
2: They had asked me uh, from the get-go if I wanted to play on the team, and I said, I will not be playing baseball or, or any – Form thereof in public, and I said we have something of a ringer in social editor Ben Felderstein, and so I said, put him on the squad. You know, you you know where you could have
1: came in handy though, is if you had been a pinch runner for ben on his attempted inside the park home <laughs> home run that that we had actually it was crazy because we were live streaming yeah. it from
0: yes full size, full, run. size full size, size run. and, right. size and run. it was and then you know. at that moment we're and I was like
1: ben come up the bat yes. and he hit it he hit it to the outfield yeah. and we're like he's got power and we're like okay swing. Is it, how far is he gonna go with this and we're like no he's he's he like did the little stutter and, and then he days. was round he was he was rounding yes. third and we're like oh my he's god we're gonna watch him hit it inside the park Home run, and I think he looked back for one second, and then yeah, went, was, and then got close. thrown out at it was home.
0: Close though. They always teach you in track: never look back. Yeah, never look back. But I applaud him for yeah. Yeah. for. He
2: had some incredible defensive plays. Really, based on what I know about baseball, yeah, okay. I, I would call him that. What position was he playing? Shortstop. Okay, that's between second and third. Who's the most yes. famous
1: Yankee shortstop of all time?
2: Got to be Derek Jeter. Yeah, he All got right. it. Okay. He got it. Got to be the captain. I, 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 I still had my hat on. I, for those listening, I took the hat off, but I would have tipped my hat as in the iconic re Jordan brand campaign. <laughs> do you
0: think DeGrom is as good of a shortstop as Jeter?
2: DeGrom's not a shortstop. <laughs> yeah. See, he tried he to knows. hit me with a trick. He knows. Question. He Come knows. On. <laughs> yeah, Come he on. Knows, <laughs> I know. But that was
0: good. That looked like a good day.
2: Yeah, it was a fun time.
1: Speaking of NBA finals, Joe. Yes. People who are still left. Who do we think there's a better chance of getting on sneaker shopping first d book or Giannis? i think Giannis. You I
3: feel you like gonna make it doesn't
1: do
0: a lot we've been asking for both of them though okay so
1: i want to see d book like pull up in the in the ride d book
0: to... d book we've been asking for a while uh Giannis too
1: so yeah we hopeful
3: you
0: never know man i'm hopeful though yes okay. always hopeful
2: i love that Everybody loves free sneakers, so let's get to the giveaway of the week. That's right. Each week, we are giving away a pair of sneakers in collaboration with the people at eBay, the eBay Sneakers Program. This is how this works. I I, I always want to break down exactly how it works, because we're still getting DMs about how can I win a free pair of sneakers. On Friday afternoon, the Complex Sneakers Twitter account will tweet out a submission for questions. You can click the link in that tweet, and you can... Ask us a question on the podcast. If we pick your question to be read out on the podcast, we will give you a free pair of incredible sneakers hand chosen by us. And they are eBay authenticity guaranteed. So you know they're legit. They may come in a random size. If you don't like the size, you can sell them. No seller fees of shoes over $100. And and these are, are all, great all over $100. <laughs> yeah.
0: They are great sneakers. They're some classics. Some grails. Yeah. even. Yeah. And today. Should
2: we get to the shoes first? Yeah. or Should we get to the question first? or what? The get shoes, the shoes. First. Okay. Okay do you know what's in here Walter? you were asking me i don't do you know what's in here joe uh,
0: i know what's in there i've
2: wanted these for so long one I of those did. shoes that once the sb hype popped off again in the past yeah. couple of years it just became almost unattainable in terms of price very rare a, a Futura oh. sb dunks and this is a a timely shoe right now given his uh mm-hmm. legal battles with you know the north face i i hope that turns out well for him but yes, yes you can see the ebay authenticity guarantee tag right on there. Uh, this 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 mesh on the tongue, what a, what a beautiful shoe. Not the those not the craziest looking shoe, but just which,
1: which do you, which do you like down more? the middle. Great yeah. shoe.
2: Which, which do you like more, those, or the Uncle Dunks? <sighs> the the Dunkel was so so wild, and I think better encapsulates that era of Nike SB because it's graphic and it's pink mm-hmm. and stuff. Like this is a little bit subtler, and I think this is easier to wear. But mm-hmm. I may like the Dunkels more, but I don't have the Dunkels.
0: Tough to compare.
2: Yeah. And we do have a question to answer.
0: We do have a question, and it's a good one. And it comes from Jake from Massachusetts. Maybe he was one of the two people in that footlocker last weekend. (laughs) But the question is, have you ever copped a shoe that wasn't your size, but you wanted it so bad that you just had to get it? I have recently. Okay, what was the shoe? Do you know it? No. Not my size, but it was basically as close to a collectible. You actually said you'll put it on your mantle, which I don't have a mantle, but... Wasn't my size, not wearable. Mm-hmm. The Reebok G Unit oh, yes. sneaker signed by all the G Unit besides to Tony Yeo, who was that. locked up at the time. And I got Free that from but
2: PG. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got I wanted him to say it. We got I friend PG. About, yeah. but, I
2: think we went a week without mentioning him, but yes. we're back on it. So but that was we went a couple weeks.
0: Size ten, it's not my size. I wouldn't have worn it anyway. Yeah. Of Maybe course. that's a little is that is this like a little bit of no, that, kind of the this counts, counts, right? It counts
1: to a certain degree.
0: I would have loved for it to be in my size, but again, signed by the whole G-Unit, we will put a picture up. And Shaw Money XL? Shaw Money XL, yes. So that was one where it wasn't my size, happy to have, definitely whenever the man cave happens,
2: mm-hmm.
3: it's
0: going to be front and center. But that was one
2: recent one and, and one that- Do you do that regularly? Because no. I, I really don't. I try not to do this.
1: No, I don't do it regularly. Is it, is it going to be right next to the Cristiano Ronaldo JLP? Uh, poster? Yeah
0: and the Roger Federer racket? Yeah.
1: Maybe. There maybe.
0: There we go. But yeah, so that's mine. Have you I, I don't know if I could I see actually, you doing that. I actually that.
1: have a funny story okay. that ties back to cuz I didn't th- I didn't uh, think there was anything I bought that wasn't my size. Mm. So when I was working at Foot Locker in New Hampshire in 2007, they had kind of like a turnover of the staff. Um, where they had like brought in a new manager, but Mm -hmm. like there had been old stuff that was like sitting in the back, like forever that Mm -hmm. like probably should have been like shipped out at some point, but like the old manager, like never did anything with it and kind of forgot about the shoes. Okay. So I'm out back and I see like a Jordan box and we didn't have like a lot of retro Jordan product at all. And it was a pair of white, pink and green Air Jordan 14 Lowe's women's pair. i
2: do not remember that Me color either. Way, okay. But okay.
1: Anyways, and the shoes were on sale for like twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. Like with the discount, they yeah, were yeah, like yeah. fourteen dollars or something like that. And I was like fourteen dollars. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, Corny was, shoe yeah, because I'm
0: I'm sure it was one left in the company. Yes. Sometimes it, you would find one, and we've talked about this. Yeah. You call up. Oh, there's one sneaker in this part of the mm-hmm. country, but. Sometimes in your own stock room, there was one yeah. shoe left and it was dirt cheap because it should have, like in the accounting, it should have been gone yeah. and sold. Yeah.
1: And the shoes are like five years old or yeah. whatever. So yeah. I'm just like, they're like $14. I'm like, it's a retro, old retro air Jordan. I'll just buy them. And then at some point, maybe the shoe, like, I don't know, like maybe yeah. I could sell it at some point sure. or whatever. This is like pre stock X and mm. all that sort of stuff. So I didn't, know what to do with it so I just like threw the shoes in my trunk and just like completely forgot about them because I'm like it's a size seven and a half women's shoe like what am I going to do with this mm-hmm. you know and then I end up working at another Foot Locker store and I was like oh crap, I have these shoes. Cause they had just like, we had like some girl had started like working with us and she mm-hmm. was that size. And I was like, hey, like I have this random pair of Air Jordans, like I paid 10 bucks for them. Like you can just have them if you want, like yeah. whatever. Like I need to get rid of these shoes. Boom, I just give the my coworker the nice. shoes. And then like four months later, she was like, oh, Thanks for giving me those sneakers. I just sold them for like $150. Okay. And I was
0: like, <laughs> Early flip. Early flip. You got to respect it.
1: You were
2: offended. Yeah. Rightfully so. Yeah. I, I, wasn't
1: like, I wasn't offended, but I was like, oh, damn. I gave you like a, like,
2: not, I didn't think of it as like a gift or anything. Yeah, but, just but it like, was like a welcome. Just, just, it, was like oh. a, it was like a hookup, you know? What well, like, year was that? She was early to the reselling <laughs> yeah. game, huh? Yeah. I, I don't do this too often. And I think it's kind of a cheating thing in terms of real sneaker collecting because I think if you're adding stuff to your collection, you should, yes. it should always be stuff mm-hmm. that you can kind of wear. thousand percent. You, you know, like I, I would never go buy a random, I don't know, 85 Jordan 1 if it wasn't in my size that I could wear one day, even if I wouldn't wear it. But I still do end up with random stuff. You know, sometimes when shoes are selling out really fast and you're just clicking around trying to get a size. and Because a lot of times when I'm buying shoes, I'm just like, oh, if I end up with the wrong size, I can just Tree. sell it. Or uh, trade it, yes, Joe, but like the trading thing never works out. I've like a lot of times it. where you have... I'm I'm a ten and a half and I have like a size twelve Nike LD waffle randomly mm-hmm. or a size seven and a half Jordan one bread from years ago. Got it. And in your head, you're like, oh, somewhere down the line I'll be able to find somebody yeah. who has my size and it'll be a real easy one-to-one thing. Never works out. But but I like having random sizes on deck a little bit. And maybe I'm contradicting yeah. myself because it's nice to hook people up or help people out where there's people in your life who they're like, oh, do you ever get yes. my you know, you get that yeah. question so much, do you whenever you have a size eight and you're like, I'm a size 10 and a half. Why would I ever have a size eight? But then when you do have <laughs> stuff that, that you can help people out with or Definitely. give someone a pair of shoes that, that, that's your friend and they're not necessarily into mm-hmm. sneakers and they get hyped over this oh, random thing. I had that happen
1: recently. So I think for a full size run shoot, I think like last year or something, um, they'd asked us what shoe we had. I would want for some sort of skit that we were doing. Yeah. And I would just like pick out some random like GR like ZX 8000, you mm-hmm. know and we bought it from West NYC
2: yeah and Sound to Lester yeah sure and it chicken. was supposed to
1: be an 11 and they ordered i don't know if they ordered the wrong size or something somewhere it got mixed and somehow i got a size 10 and i wear a size 11 so mm-hmm. i'm like there's no way i can wear this shoe but there's this guy at the bar that's like right around the corner from my house who wears a size 10 who i've known for years and he's yeah. always like, that. and that's- he's great and he's always like why aren't you giving me shoes? he yeah. always like bust my balls about it. You always said like you're gonna give me shoes. You're gonna give me shoes. You're gonna give me shoes. And I'm like, all right. And you then like, it. and then finally it clicked in my head. I'm like, oh my god, you
2: wear size ten. I have a pair of size perfect. That's awesome. Ten and That's and then he it, resold them what, for what $150. a generous <laughs> guy. Yeah, well, <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: he resold them for 150. Giving away
2: all these sneakers, I, I love that. And again, we are giving this pair away. Futura Nike SB Dunk. Jake, you're getting a pair of these on the way soon from the eBay Authenticity Guarantee Program.
0: Great pair. And now it's time for our guest. Our guest on today's podcast is one of the most prolific footwear designers of the last 30 years. As a track runner in high school, he would wear New Balances and it spawned his passion for sneakers, more specifically sneaker design. His first job out of college was an early full circle moment, working at New Balance and designing some of the legacy models that are even more prominent than ever today. The 1500, the 997 and the 576 to name a few. From New Balance, he went on to work at Adidas, Reebok, and then Nike with the thought of design disruption and sneakers with staying power in mind. His catalog of designs across those brands include the Adidas Artillery, the Reebok Instapump Pump Fury, the Nike Shox Monster, Nike Air Streak Spectrum Plus, and the recently re-released Nike Air Spear on Cage 2. He's done a ton in 37 years, but currently his role as design director of Yeezy Lab has him working alongside Kanye West on his billion-dollar Adidas empire and designing your favorite new Yeezy silos. Do we even have to name them? We'll get into all that and more on today's episode with the legendary Stephen Smith.
4: Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here again. How you doing? Oh, not bad. Yeah, it's Oregon and the sun is out. One can never complain when that's happening.
2: <laughs> a a rare occurrence, Stephen. Did we miss any sneakers? I feel like we missed a few I'm sneakers because sure you've designed every single sneaker. Do you just want to keep naming sneakers that you've designed?
4: Uh, I don't know. There's a few. I mean, I've, there's quite a few I've forgotten. I mean, it's nice to see the 550 uh, New Balance back. That's another fun one to oh, see. Oh, we're
0: going to get into that one. Uh,
4: That's
1: one I one I definitely want to talk yeah. about. Okay. Nike, Nike Vapor Max.
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, the Cage of Spirit on Max 2009. Pegasus Structure. Um just get the cvs receipt out. Jeez, least yeah. shocks D. Uh, I could keep going. I got to think about him. Hopefully, Hopefully it Shucks comes Master up as we go Spike. along. What's the
1: what's the worst sneaker that you designed in your own
4: estimation? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to talk about that one. It's really bad. Uh I it's forgotten and thank god. Wait, can can you
2: can you talk about it without naming it? I'm actually I'm actually quite interested
4: in it. Same. I could tell you what it's called. Thank God there's very little info on it, although I'm sure someone will dig a pair out. It was called the Shanktastic. It was a total piece of shit.
2: (laughs) What what brand was that for? Nike. (laughs) Gotcha. Loud loud and clear. (laughs) Man, you've been at every single brand. I I think we want to start here. Well, We'll go to a couple different places, but your first role in the industry was working at New Balance in 1986. Do you remember just like how different sneakers were back then? Like, Did people really care about sneakers wearing them not for athletic wear? Like what? how important was the sneaker culturally at that point when you entered the industry?
4: Really computer and tech guys would wear them. Yeah. Uh, Steve jobs. One of the biggest turning of the knob to open the door was casual Friday, you know, and that's when people started to just wear like white, white tennis on Friday Uh with my dockers. And that was kind of like the, the beginning of athletic footwear as, as uh Weekly or business attire, but I mean, it's just casual Fridays. That's it. But that, that's that's all I can remember. Industry wise, uh, I mean, we got to obviously because we worked in a freaking shoe factory. So, you, and that's that's what really appealed to me about New Balance was that I could wear things that I loved every day. Even better when I got to design them and wear my own designs.
0: Stephen, one thing I love is that we'll see you in the comments, and it's like I'll hit these guys, and I'll be like. Wow. He did this shoe as well. And one that came up just now that is more prominent than ever, the New Balance 550. You see it with the uptick in Ame doing the collab and now even inline models hitting like Foot Locker. Talk about that shoe and and what it's like to see the reemergence of that sneaker. Uh,
4: It's pretty wild. Like I I had, you know, I never forgot about all the stuff I did at New Balance. It's just the basketball ones were kind of obscure because they weren't, you know, other than the Worthy Express, we weren't really known for basketball. We kept trying and trying mm-hmm. and trying with releases. So yeah, it was a real surprise to see that one revived because so, some of the others, you know, like the Cage Zoom Spirit on and then the uh, mm-hmm. the Zoom Spectrum, those were kind of obscure for Stissy and Supreme to pull out. So this one was even more. I was like, what? I yeah. forgot about that one. Yeah. Uh, when I got to New Balance, being Man, this guy right here, Kevin Brown.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Brownie used to like to do all the basketball shoes, and I used to like to do all the running shoes. But we would trade off every now and then, and it was actually kind of fun because Brownie was a wacko eccentric like I was. So we were the entire design team, and would would sit there and go like, which one do you want to do today? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Well, it's, you want to do this one? And you're like, okay. And so he and I would have these kind of friendly competitions as to who could make the most elaborate tooling and bottom units and just mess with the development guys and the marketing guys of New Balance. <laughs> yeah. Just pushing the envelope like just the, to do it? Yeah, just to aggravate them. And we're like, well, we could put a color dam here. We could break it up here and it can go up at this funky angle. And they're like, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And Brownie <laughs> I'd be like, ha, 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 ha. and I'd be like, watch this one. I'm going to add like six color breaks there. You'd <laughs> be like, Oh no, let's, let's do seven. And like, let's hide this in the tread pattern. And we would play all kinds of little games just to mess with them. Very, you know, kind of subversive. And, uh, Brownie, Brownie was a good character. So he he did like the worthy Mm. and then I was doing some of the more mid price mid price models just so that we could get the whole collection out at at once.
0: Can you Um, can can, did you ever imagine that Haley Bieber and like downtown New York City people, the five fifty would become like the shoe of the cool guy moment right now? Oh god, never. You know? It's all over the city.
4: it's wild. I'm gonna have to get a pair, I guess. You, know? <laughs> you don't have uh, a pair, Steve. So send... can... Teddy didn't send you a pair. No. It's funny when I when I left New Balance. You know, I grew up in a fairly working class town, and and, and a bunch of my friends were. You know, it's New England. You, mm-hmm. they were townies. They were gonna stay there the rest of their life, and they had just regular kind of jobs. Any of them that were size nines, I I gave them uh, hefty bags of shoes. Mm Uh, because I was going from, you know, my first job at New Balance to Adidas, which was a competitor. So it's kind of frowned upon to have competitive stuff. So Mm -hmm. I just gave it away to all my friends who who didn't have really good paying jobs and stuff. So it's like, here's my gift to you. And I've given like 20 pairs of New Balances at a batch of all the prototypes and stuff I had. So a lot of those I just gave away. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did. I didn't have a lot of the basketball stuff so a lot of my friends actually played basketball more than were being runners so uh i was more than happy to to give them to them as as gifts
1: steven um before we uh shot this show we're talking about the 574 and 576 and i think it's interesting because i know you had told me in the past that you designed the 576 and then someone at new balance took all the expensive parts out of it and created the five seven four, and then the five seven four ends up becoming New Balance's like biggest shoe of all time. Is it crazy for you to see that happen to one of your shoes and the legacy you have at the brand?
4: Yeah, I mean it was kind of funny to see things potato-headed at that point in time, you know, because it wasn't it wasn't really the normal to reuse a lot of tooling like that. Um, we would um, start from scratch because technologies and things were evolving in our business so fast that you would just you'd update it because you could because you could make it better and so it was funny to see it take a step backwards but i you know i guess in in the end it was the right move because it made it more uh price point accessible for people which also you know you're getting that great new balance shoe with the upper fit and the material and the quality um with a little bit of a dumbed down midsole but uh yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's probably part of the success, you know, is is getting the value. And that's what appeals. You know, you look at the dad shoe. I mean, that was the dad shoe appeal. It's, mm-hmm. it's solid value.
2: Were you pissed off, though? Because I feel like that is a moment where Stephen Smith, the designer, could clash. And I know this has happened a lot over the years with Stephen Smith. Uh, I- interfacing with other people inside the company, or what, what? What have you done to my thing? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm totally wrong on that. <laughs> Me,
4: no, uh, no, you know, that's I, I think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, again, it was the right thing to do, and if the, and it made it more su- successful, all, all the better. It's just when people were doing stupid things that I would speak up about it. Just before the. The call in, I dug out some stuff out of my archives, and I have one of those. That's a that's a topic for that with with the spirit on, for example. Mm. But it is funny that people kind of were a little scared to talk to me about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the
0: five seventy four?
4: Because working
0: at Finish Line back in the day, we sold so many of them, and now even like wealthy, when I bring up the five seventy four, he's a little like, uh, I guess maybe his like because he knows the backstory. I don't know.
1: I feel like everyone like 574 is like where you start for new balance it's mm-hmm. like it's like the most accessible one okay. but new balance is also known like you had said like for it's like most expensive and premium products and like the 574 is kind of like the Two the, for the, the cheaper the version the, right. of like the actual like high end new balance shoes there were some good ones though
4: it's still good solid comfort and it's great you know a great art piece to throw colors all over and create new variations that you never imagined I mean that's the coolest thing to me is seeing all of these shoes that I've done over the 37 years is seeing people reimagine what they can do with them with different colors and materializations I mean beyond whatever I imagined it to be in the first place so to me it it's it's uh it's it's more fascinating than anything to be upset about I mean I think it's cool you can get so many variants like I wanted to buy a pair so but but I'm like which one do I get I I, I kind of like 10 different colorways so you know, i ended up getting one that matched my race car and my pair of 574s that i finally bought myself.
3: Mm.
1: Steven, you're talking about shoes done up in other colorways. I think an early on cool crossover moment was is you you designed the New Balance 997 um and then United Arrows ended up doing the 997.5 in that white pink and purple mm-hmm. color, i mean the gray pink and purple colorway and that shoe kind of became a cult status because it got worn by Kanye early on when he was dating Amber Rose do you do you remember that moment in specific and thinking that was a big thing
4: no I I think I was too buried in uh you know in in Nike world you know because it can be cult-like and you're focused on that and performance and Olympic athletes and that's kind of where my head was at around that
3: time yeah
0: did you guys remember? That? Like, did you know it exactly? I remember that picture. Yes. Did yes. you know when it came out? Did you know exactly what, what it was? I remember blogs were writing, like, the mystery New Balance Kanye is wearing. Did I think I had
2: to dig into it a little bit, but just remember seeing the moment and being like, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, I want to I keep tracing your career. So how did Adidas get okay. you from New Balance? Like, w- w- did they poach you? What What was that transition like going from New Balance to Adidas?
4: Well, it was really funny. You know, it was kind of my first job. And you... Yeah, I grew up with parents of the 50s, where it's like, you, that's your job for life. You get a mm-hmm. job, you do well, and you get the gold watch and you retire. So it was kind of a, an alien concept. Just stay to, there for uh,
2: two be, years and then move on.
4: Yeah, to, you know, like you stay there for 20 years in yeah. um, that kind of mindset. So my development guy, this guy Dana Giudice, he he quit and went to Adidas and I was Bombed. I'm like, man, Dana's like my best development guy. You know what, what the hell? And so he got down there, and then he called me. Hey, you want to come down here? And uh I said, I don't know. Adidas is like, it's kind of the brand brand scale. It was like the next big level thing. It was a global one versus, you know, at that time, New Balance was kind of a regional American one. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, well, I'll come down and talk. So they. They flew me down and, and my brother lived in Jersey and that's where Adidas was based at that time. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know, if if I get a good bump in pay, I mean, I could live with my brother and uh, mm-hmm. save some more money. And, and so I went down there and, and they were going to double my pay. Really? So I went back up to New Balance. Yeah. yeah. And I went back up to New Balance and I was like, hey, um, you know, Dana, Dana brought me down to Adidas to to talk about going down there, you know, this is what they threw out there. I mean, would, would you guys, you know, and I'm that my parents brought us up to be very honest, loyal and, and, um, moral. And I was like, look, this is what they threw out there. What, what do you guys think? You know, I really like it here. Um, but what, what can you guys do? And they're like, well, you know what? 25,000 is all a designer will ever make at New Balance. Wow. I said, okay, what about five years from now? They're like, nope. I said, how about 10 years? Nope, that's it. That's the cap. And I'm like, well, they're offering me almost twice that. Yeah. Like what, what do you do? You know? And so I, I decided to go work at Adidas at that point. And, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of help repair the brand in the mm-hmm. U S because it was, it was, it was their reputation was wavering. Yeah. Um, and new balance was just kind of, yeah, it, it, it's funny to see how big they are now. Cause it was like $112 million in sales at that point. It was kind of small. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was, I ran in countries when I was pre pre, pre my nine nineties and uh, I was like, yeah, I'll go give adidas a shot why not you know and my brother was like yeah it'll be great to have you down here with me so i I went and did that but it was a you know it was an absolute freaking shit show <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you did the artillery there at adidas and some sort of connection i saw a couple weeks ago you had the whole Bape cutty fit on your instagram and he did an artillery Adidas collaboration.
4: Did you talk about that with him at all? You know, I was at Adidas one day and I saw it and I was like, what are these for? That's my old artillery. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, oh, these are the kid cutting specials he's doing for some movie. And uh I was like, sweet. Yeah. You know, cuz I had I had met him down at down at Kanye's, but I I didn't know. You know, I I didn't I don't think he knew I did that shoe so it was kind of it was kind of cool you know it's a nice acknowledgement culturally to see it come back you know definitely from that era you know I brought out one of the things out the original phantom to sample circa 1988 okay you know so that was kind of a fun one to do and that that was part of that whole grouping we did three three shoes artillery Mm. The, that phantom, and then we did the uh, what they called the reload, which I think was I don't know what they called it, something else, uh, when it went to retail. But the so those were the second the, the artillery was like the second torsion shoe for basketball. Mm. So
2: your your time at Adidas was so brief, and then you, you kind of move on to the Reebok thing, where you you know you were there for I think eight eight years, and kind of some of the most memorable shoes of your career, stuff like the Reebok and Pump Fury. I want to know. When you were at Reebok, did it still feel like Reebok was battling with Nike? Because you think about the 80s and Reebok and Nike were going at it so much. Was it still very anti-Nike in the Reebok building when you got there in 89?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and it was in 1991 where we passed Nike as number one. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was a constant battle and a fight for, for number one. And, you know, you'd go to Super Show and you'd sneak into their booth because they wouldn't let any competitors in. So we would call up um, NSGA and figure out what the badge color was for the buyer badge, so we'd make fake buyer badges, so we could sneak into everybody's booths. You were you were
2: faking on. credentials <laughs> so you could get into Nike's booth and steal. Well, I won't say steal trade secrets, but to to see the stuff they were making.
4: Just to yeah, to see what was coming. You know, and they're like, "Where's your store?" I said, i oh, just in a funny little place in Massachusetts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't worry and, about uh, it." <laughs> yeah, you know. How many shops you got? Oh, just, just two. You know. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of fun. You'd get all the s- sales brochures with all the pricing, and yeah, it was kind of fun. Covert, spy shit, subterview shit. <laughs> it, 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 that
2: moment that you surpassed Nike in sales, was there any party? I, I'd imagine Paul Fireman would want to throw a, a a big hoopla once Reebok took that number one spot.
4: It was a pretty big deal. They sent us all these like pl- uh, the Edge Glow neon orange plexiglass number ones for our desk that was like a little paper holder and stuff. Is there a giant Reebok you, pump you know,
2: cake or something?
4: <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. But, uh, you know, they they treated us well there. You know, Fire, Fireman was a great guy. Mm-hmm. I still like him a lot. You know, he he, he treated design well.
1: Steven, uh, I think the highlight of your Reebok Tenure is the Reebok Insta Pump Fury. You spoken about it with Complex Sneaker of the Year book. Um, we talked about it, we featured it for nineteen ninety four Design of the Year. And you said that shoe was so disruptive and the colorway on it was so disruptive that like you were in there like arguing with like the marketing guys and telling them to go fuck themselves and all that.
4: Oh, I might have said some things like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you believe in something strong enough, Mm. it's like your child, you're going to fight for it and you know, it's right. You know, and and throughout my career, those that I've known that I had an inkling that it was right, I fought for and, and, and it looking back on it, it was worth the fight Mm. because there it is a huge piece of their, their heritage and the brand. So it, and it's, and it's funny, it comes out again and, 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 you know, whenever you want affirmation that it was the right thing to do, you know, this just came out. This is a, an exhibit that's going to be in oh, yeah. London at the London Design Museum. And it's funny, as you read through it, some of the some of the younger j- designers in here say, you know, I saw that Reebok Fury and I wanted to design sneakers. So it's pretty cool. And they, they kind of c- nicely call me out in there. So it's, you yeah, know, it makes you feel good because you did the right thing.
2: Steven, did any of the validation from that sneaker come from the pop cultural moments associated with it? Like, Steven Tyler wearing the Reebok and the Pump Fury or any other famous people or, in it? Was, was, was what, it
4: Jackie Chan wore the shoe? Yeah,
2: the Jackie Chan as well. Were, were those a big deal to you?
4: Yeah. Oh, when it was out, you know, seeing Steven Tyler and it was freaking mind-blowing. Yeah. yeah. Like, holy Shit. crap. You know, the rock god and then mm-hmm. Bjork, you know. Cause you, oh, you, yeah. you got That's Steven good- Tyler who's who's 70s till today relevant. Uh, but at that point, you know, Aerosmith was huge for a kid from Boston to see yeah. his product on. And then contemporary relevance to see Bjork wearing it, you know, to have that spectrum of, yeah. you know, 70s arena rock god, wackadoo Steven Tyler, and then Bjork avant-garde uh, contemporary uh, artist. is it's, it's amazing to see that, that scope and breadth of, of who it appealed to. Uh, and then when Jackie Chan wore it, awesome. that that just really opened it up even further in in Asia Pacific, and I think that's what kept it alive more than anything was that that opening up of of people's eyes to it in, in the Asia Pacific region because they're still one of the uh, biggest areas for demand for that that product. So it's it's pretty cool. Like I said, you know, it was worth the fight. It was worth calling people fucking assholes because <laughs> here it is. And then those, those people are, are gone or are forgotten. And, you know, I'm here, the sneakers there, it was the right thing to do. What? It's in the London design museum for God's sakes. Come on. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Steven, uh, to like go into that whole, like, and I think it's kind of important to kind of show the, you know, the listeners, You're like the attitude you've had with all this and fighting back and forth. And I know you you said that after you left Reebok, you had to like go into the office and you like stole all your original designs and kept them in your own archive.
4: Well, it was funny. I didn't actually go in and steal it. (laughs) Let's not use the word steal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's not use. (laughs) Uh, uh, But, you know, uh as new people came into the team or we relocated to different facilities, a lot of that stuff would just get tossed and you'd be like, well, I'll save that. I'll save that. That's silly to have that thrown out. You know, that's history. That's, that's part of the, the archive of it. So I, I saved all that, you know, when I did quit, I selectively removed designs from my desk, which was notoriously like a foot high full of piles of designs and ideas. Cause it was just this, fire hose of, of conceptualization um, so much that Reebok couldn't absorb it of how much was coming out. And Litch and Peter Foley and I, all, we tried to make it all. Um, and Reebok to this day still harvests work from those days. Uh, but yeah, I, I selectively took the drawings and things that I thought were relevant and important and and kept those. And you know, if you look at it and go, "Oh, well, maybe that was unethical or whatever," but it's my portfolio, and I needed it to it's get your work. my next job to yeah. show what I did. It's 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 your work. It's still your pieces. And and today, Reebok's archivists uh, are so that's an Aaron Narlock? that it exists because a lot of it got thrown out as they moved around campus to campus to campus, and yeah. so I had I have like fifty percent of the the fury history and, and, Litchfield has the other half. Um, and so if we hadn't taken it, 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 it would be lost forever. So they're, they're just happy to have it and have access to it, which I, you know, I freely let them borrow things right. for their uh, perusal or reinvention, or to see a detail of something was done. I, I loan it to them all the time.
0: Steven, you did a brief stint at Fila, but then you go on to Nike. In 2009, and what were those early years like?
4: Uh, you know, Nike was a lot of fun then. You know, Phil Knight was still in the game with us every day, and um, you know, it's it's always great to have the founder there because they're they're the heart and soul of what it was about. They they embody the risk taking. They embody. The, the brand ethics. I mean, Bill Byron was still alive. I got to go spend time with Bill, which was really cool and capture that spirit of what those guys did, that spark that created the brand. Because as brands grow, that, um, that mentality that got them started, that, that rebellion, that offering something different gets diluted over time. So it was great to have those guys there to, be the spirit of it and pick their brains and what, you know, ask them, what would you, what would you do about this? And Mm -hmm. they would bluntly tell you and you'd, you'd do it. uh, And you'd get the information straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And as, Mm -hmm. as Phil stepped away, uh, the culture changed a little bit and it wasn't as um, product and performance driven as, Mm -hmm. as it was when I got there, you know, things kind of, tapered off to a point.
2: You got there in 1999. Was it weird to be at Nike after being at war with Nike, kind of in those Reebok years? You know, how how strange was it to finally step behind the berm, as they say, and be part of this organization that you had kind of worked against in your other roles?
4: Well, it was really funny. You know, I went there and I I interviewed in um, early 92. I was flown out to meet with Tinker and Mark Parker. Oh, wow. And uh presumably the first
2: time you met tinker
4: oh yeah yeah yeah. and uh it was very funny that, that they had just moved into the jordan building you know that that whole the initial side of the the campus was brand new and in those days you brought your work in in the form of slides so i brought my carousel and i brought my slide sheets and it was kind of funny for the, the the leader in the game. They spent all day trying to find a slide projector, which they couldn't
2: <laughs> for that 1992 and, visit.
4: Yeah. So Tinker's sitting there looking at my slides on the window, you know, like, Oh, you Holding can draw a kid. And I'm like, yeah. 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 And, uh, so he was like, really nice, you know, amazing. And, uh, you'll hear from us. And, and so I was like, great, that'll be kind of cool. I liked it. I, I, I came out to Beaverton and, Uh, it it was, you know, the campus was nice. And I went back to Reebok and we were on one building and um, it was a nice building and all that. But I mean, going to see the the Nike campus was like, holy crap, you have no idea. You know, it's like seeing being, being a, a warrior in the jungle and all of a sudden you go see like a B2 stealth bomb and you go back to the jungle and they're like, yeah, we're going to kick their butts. And you're like, "You have no idea what you're up against. You have no idea. Yeah. You know, and I saw it. And after that visit is when I went back and, and I never heard anything back. So I was kind of bummed. And then I got a rejection letter and I'm like, son of a bitch. And so no, no particular reason I, I went, why Nike didn't hire you back after that 92 visit. Nothing. And so I still have the plane ticket stub and everything from when I went. I got my rejection letter. I saved it all. I put it in a drawer and uh, I went back into my sketches and stuff and I pulled out some stuff that would become the fury. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to design the shoe that you son of a bitches wish you had. Born of and your literal up. fury. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I, I, redeveloped that sketch and out it came and at that point in time shortly after it there, there there were all these people who were collecting early Nikes and Air Maxes and the Fury so there was these ads of like looking for you know this Max, that Max, this Jordan and the Fury and it was the only Reebok that at that point had ever attained that same kind of status and desire of collectability so I'm like see it was Probably should have been destined to be a Nike at that point, you know. Uh, so it was kind of like retribution to to actually get in there finally. I went right. finally, I went and asked Tinker. I'm like, dude, what the hell happened? He goes, Oh, I thought we hired you. Like, well. It's like you never you never went and checked on it, you know. Stephen,
0: one of my favorite Nike silhouettes that has yet to re-release, and I'm wondering if you. Worked on it or were around the Air Zoom Citizen.
4: Do you remember that? Oh, I love the. Yeah, I love the Citizen. I was working at Fila at the time and, and uh, Bob Lucas did that. And I remember I was out for my run on the waterfront in Portland mm-hmm. and somebody ran by in a pair of the prototypes. Wow. And I was like, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. I like. It's it was really cool. I liked how different it was, and you know, when I got there, I saw the sketches for it and everything, and I'm like, oh yeah, that thing was just so cool. It it, it was one of my favorites.
2: And then the Spirit On Cage Two that you did design, like shortly after that, I I feel like in a previous conversation you and I had, you told me some of what was happening on the bottom of that shoe was inspired by some of the failures of the Zoom Citizen, right? The way the bag would abrade on the ground, so you had to kind of protect it in the Spirit On.
4: Yeah, and I mean that's where. What they learned from that that became the the cage zoom was uh, the citizen had the full zoom bag kind of exposed on the side, right? And as it as it compressed, the sole would kind of push up into the zoom bag, and the edge of the zoom bag would roll over and abrade. And so that's when um, I think it was, if I remember, is Kevin Hoffer kind of had like, and Toby had a telephone cord anybody remember what a cord looked like on a telephone <laughs> and they had wrapped it around the zoom bag and like we're thinking of this thing yeah. called cage zoom and i was like oh that's interesting so i went off and i started sketching it you know as actually more of this literal little cage versus a coil to protect it and then i liked the the, the look of the fingers coming up like holding it and so that's where that kind of language came from for that
2: we need you to go back and fix the citizen so they can bring it back out I know. and joe can finally I know. be satisfied we need you, we
4: need you to <laughs> yeah. for real well they added a they added a plate to the bottom of it and that rather than helping it and wrapping the outsole <laughs> over it that exasperated it because the plate shoved up into the bag so anyway you know it's like it went counter to what it was but you know i dig i dig this one out because you know you, you're talking about me fighting with people and stuff. So people were scared of me a little bit. <laughs> and when when we originally briefed this model, it was briefed for Nike Japan. And the uh, forecast was for 40,000 pairs. as a lightweight racing shoe slash trainer for, for Japan. And you'll see that it doesn't have the, the rubber here. It was mm-hmm. all EVA because I wanted it super lightweight. I wanted it inspired by the foot, super flexible, Dan Jones, who was the head of marketing at the time, uh, pulled me into his office and he was like, Hey, um, can I talk to you about something? I'm like, sure, whatever, you know? And, uh, he goes, so I know, I know you love this thing. We showed it and people are, are all over right. it. Um, could you please think about adding some rubber here in the forefoot so Even the you EVA doesn't wear out so fast i was like well you know it's really meant for the for the japanese runners and they were they were the ones kind of driving it and uh and he's like well let me explain it to you i'm like okay he goes if we add just one piece of rubber up in here we can take it from japan to global,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and he goes, and it can go from forty thousand pair to maybe eighty thousand pair. I said, "Well, that makes sense. Sure, I'll do it." You know, so I went back and I sketched it, and it came out with with the eventual, um, what they call uh, waffle grip in the forefoot that they use on a lot of the the regular Japanese training and and racing flats. So I added that in there, and Dan was like, "You know, thank you. That looks really cool. I think I think it'll do well." And so, when they uh, took it out to book it, it booked 800,000 pairs. So, it, I, I would say it was pretty successful. You went, went from 40,000
2: units were anticipated and then it went to 800,000 units? Yeah. Does, does the designer see? I know we asked you this when we had you on Full Size Run. You don't, you don't get royalties off the shoes, but do you get any sort of bonus when a shoe ends up
4: doing 20 times better than expected? Zero. I got to keep my job the next day uh, at that point. And so did pretty well. And again, you know, if you, if you gave me a reason for doing something as opposed to like, I think, or I want, Mm. you know, I'm not designing it for you. I'm designing it for the consumer in the end when a change like that is requested and, and it's logical, right. like, Oh, okay. You gave me evidence. Rather than, exactly. It's like, it's based in reality as opposed to someone's emotions, feelings, uh, their, their insecurity of like, Ooh, yeah, I don't know if we could sell it without rubber on the forefoot. There was, there was a, a reason for it. Like if you did that, then this will occur. And I'm like, sounds reasonable. Sure. And it was, it was function driven. And, Again, it turned out to be the right thing. I mean, that's amazing uh, for a shoe that people were scared of. You know, like a lot of the things I do, they people are kind of like, "Ooh, that's mm-hmm. kind of scary." Um, and and so to to go from forty thousand to eight hundred thousand when it booked in was was pretty good. So there was kind of a mad scramble to get production but, yeah, ramped actually up for make that the kind units, of volume yeah. shift. In- yeah,
1: Steven, I think uh, one of the one of the interesting parts about your Nike tenure towards the end or even after you were no longer with the brand ended up doing the Vapor Max. But the Vapor Max is a shoe that like it was like your, your you know, your grand, your magnum opus that you had started working at Reebok. I remember going to the archives and they basically showed us a version that you had made a prototype shoe with Reebok that is the Nike Vapormax. Mm-hmm. And then you take that Oops. idea and concept and then go to Nike. And it took like 15 years from the start of that shoe to when the shoe gets produced and it finally gets put out. And it was kind of like Nike's uh try to how maybe how they try to combat Adidas a little bit at that moment when the boost was mm-hmm. so big they, they go to the Vapormax. It's Max. a huge moment for the Air Max line, too. Yeah, they so
4: what it was. What it was is there was the Reebok Diamond Collection, and that's where that shoe kind of came from, which was uh, kind of an ultimate leap for what DMX would be with this fully molded midsole, no foam or anything in between. And so when I was working on the Max 2009, uh, yeah, unusual at Nike at, at the time was designer designing the air units. It was all done by engineers uh IHM which is in-house manufacturing they had engineers over there to to do just Nike air so it was unusual for a designer you know because I'm a weirdo where I problem solve and have mechanical engineering mindset blended with art which the two just hate each other typically and I would hang out with the engineers because I'd want to know how stuff was done and the other designers like why are you talking to them you know uh because they're going to help me make my dreams come true of what the product can be, and so when I was working on the Max 2009, we went from the 360 with the rigid cage on it. We wanted to get rid of that cage because it made the shoe really stiff, and you know it was a nice intro to the full visi unit, right. but it didn't. It, it was kind of clunky and didn't flex in the right places. Mm so chris cook who was my development guy he he and i looked at it and we like let's make this thing for runners first as opposed to just make an air unit and so we went back in and we reevaluated it redesigned it perfected honed it and then while i was at it i being in innovation i created the next two iterations of what uh full length air would become and it was this podular modular unit you know and one version was splitting it into two parts kind of fury like of a forefoot and a heel so you could have independent but it, you know with with the air mindset of having a softer forefoot lower pressure um, and a slightly higher pressure in the heel so you could separate them and, and tune it and then from that was the third one with the pods gotcha. of even more like the bone structure on your foot for independent motion and, and fluid motion and that sketch series of sketches after I left running that uh, looks like it evolved into the to the Vapormax tooling. Such a big
0: moment. So I, I know that, big that push I, for Nike. You remember
2: how big the Vapormax yeah. was when it first came out?
0: Absolutely. I have like three pairs and like warm out warm at the gym like there was a, Yeah. There was a Acronyms. time yeah, where yeah, I yeah. was wearing them like in every facet of my life.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: The, your career doesn't. Well, uh, go ahead. A lot of it is, uh, you know, again, not designing the whole shoe that would become right the retail Vapor mm-hmm. Max. It's like the but the idea, the ingredients, the ingredients, the platform, and the chassis.
2: So, Stephen, I, I think the the reason most people really game, became familiar with your name in this world of sneaker culture. I, I know people don't love that term, but we'll, we'll say sneaker culture right now is your most recent work, which is at Kanye West Easy making. These sneakers, you know, making all sorts of boost models, and you know, I think even the shoes Joe has on his feet right now, and and wave, wave runners, runners and wave runners, five how hundred. How much can we talk about Yeezy and what happens at Yeezy, Stephen? Because I know, I know, sometimes not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. <laughs> okay, can we, what about the shoes that that already come out? Like, do you do you pay attention when a new Yeezy sneaker comes out? Something like the four hundred and fifty or the foam runner that is so daring which is a characteristic of a lot of your work and do you pay attention to how people receive it when it comes out do you watch instagram comments to see if people
4: like it or not or oh absolutely i've been mean, the minute uh spy shots shown i want to see what people are thinking you know and you're like oh man don't say shit like that about it <laughs> you know and then when it comes out things sell out in under a minute i mean you can't you can't argue with it so it's it embodies a lot of my career and, and again ultimately keep in mind Kanye is the creative director without a doubt um and he got, guy guides me and other designers through the process of what he's inspired by and, and looking for and we inspire each other you know we send imagery to each other all day long you know some of those are sparks to go off and create things people have never seen before and and like a lot of the designs I've worked on, they, they can be polarizing, but those polarizing ones are the ones that become these icons, you know, when I think of when the wave runner came out, it looked like nothing contemporary at the time. Everything was Roshi's and three fifties and one piece upper stuff. And this thing comes out with like 30 pieces, uh, that was basically like a futuristic version of the stuff I started doing at New Balance, mm. and, and that's kind of kind of what the Wave Runner in, embodied was. What if I still worked at New Balance? What what would I be creating mm. um, with Kanye? And that's kind of the mindset of what what birthed that, um, and a, and a, and it's it's very different how we we create and work and there you know there's there's a team of people and and many hands touch things right um but part of it part of part of my place is to spark new ideas new aesthetics um where things came from new geometry new language uh if you think of the the foam runner you know that mm-hmm. that the the ultimate design was done by Kanye and um, one of the young Adidas designers, but the language of it came from this really loose sketch I had done mm. for uh, some other stuff uh, of that repeat of the ellipses, uh, that language that, that evolved from the 700 language, you know, that's in the midsole sidewall. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very different way of thinking and working than most people can comprehend. I mean, it's magic, it's magic. There's nothing quite like it. It's, it's a creative uh, unleashing, like no place I've ever been.
0: You talk about polarizing products and like your career of disruption. Do you think in 2021 you could have been anywhere else or do you really feel like Yeezy is the perfect fit for you?
4: I, I think looking at this point in my career, Yeezy's a perfect place for me. 'Cause I've got an advocate of, of design, mm-hmm. an advocate of disruption of disruption, a disruptor, a fellow disruptor. Yeah. You know? And I that's part of why we we jive so well. It's like we just wanna change the game constantly and refresh it and reset it. Uh and show people you know, Kanye and I had these early conversations where um, you know, we talked about talked about that as a concept of the future we were promised from the fifties and the sixties, you know, flying cars right. and all, all, all kinds of crazy ass shit, people wearing like silver space suits yeah. and we're wearing the same old shit we've been wearing for 50 years. You know, I mean, why not offer people that future we were promised that we never got, yeah. um, break the paradigm, escape the matrix. You know, and that's that's kind of the things we do. Show the people the future that we can see. You know, that's we had these conversations about relevance of time mm-hmm. and place. You know, past, present, future. There's the now, and we're in the now. And you know, Kanye was like, "When you were doing the Fury, you you were you were in the now. That's the future. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was just left behind you." Um, and it's you you look at it again, you know. Thirty-five years that she has been around. Uh, it still looks like it's from the future. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's that's what's so interesting about all of this. I mean, maybe I did. You know, like Nikola Tesla would always say, he got in his sleep or in a dream state, he got these visions of the future. You know, maybe it's aliens sending him messages. Who who knows what it is? Did you're maybe you're a mental time traveler. So I, I don't know you know i got a gift and i got a i got a person who appreciates the gift with me who has his own gift and uh together we're doing really cool things for the world so,
1: so are you are you like the elon musk of sneakers to some degree
2: stephen
4: i don't know i'm not i'm not a millionaire <laughs> uh are you a billionaire <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wish uh but it's I, I, I like look, I look at kind of more as the Tesla, mm-hmm. you okay. know, I mean, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, somewhat. not the brand <laughs> Tesla. Yeah, yeah, no, not the car, oh. <laughs> uh, the the inventor, the science, the scientist, the futurist, you know, he he was going head to head with with Edison. Uh, but all the things, you know, they thought Tesla was out of his fucking mind. Does that make Tinker Hatfield and
2: Edison? Who's Edison in this narrative? I,
4: I don't know. I mean, we're friends. It's different. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Edison Tesla started out as working in Edison's lab with him,
2: so
1: I think
4: um, it yeah. might be Edison but, in the
1: metaphor. <laughs> but, <laughs> S- 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 Steven, what was it like for you? Um, because I know early on, me and you had a history because I'd interviewed you for a story and you had talked about how you, <laughs> you, you work on the Wave Runner. Obviously, you send me a frantic phone call saying that if I don't take the story down, that like you're gonna lose your job at Yeezy. But then all these years later, you know, Kanye brings you out at the, I believe it was the business. Oh my God. Fast company? The fast, fast the, yes. the fast company summit, and it's kind of like, you know, you're the the wizard to the Wizard of Oz that they unveil, and they're like, here's the guy helping design the shoes. Like, what was that moment like for you to find
4: again? There, there's a lot of people, but Kanye just decided at one point, you know, you you can go out there and be a voice for it because people want to know about it, but I still can't tell a lot, you know, it's all secret and NDAs. And, um, I can, I can give snippets and glimpses to things that are already out or have already been said. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a very different environment. You know, you have to respect people's privacies and what they you know it's a mutual respect with him right. what he asked me to keep secret i do you know it's it's just a respect as a friend above and beyond the working environment and uh, so that's that's what i respect with him and I, I i respect the friendship above and beyond the working relationship as as creatives um, it's a brotherhood more than anything. I mean, and he's, he's introduced me to all kinds of uh, amazing people that you find out later that, that you influence. And without my career, these people wouldn't have their ability to create and, and do the amazing things that they do for the marketplace, you know, like Fonz Bentley, I mean, guys who inspire me back Mm -hmm. and I I inspire them and it's really cool. And, And and Don C, you know, Don C's become like a great friend. Love um, that. And
3: one of the best voices of all time.
4: So, oh, I, I love Don. He's he's one of my all time favorite people. Absolutely. Um, and so to me, it, it's like. It's gotten those guys to meet the guy who did the stuff that they, you know, kind of like with Kanye, I, I designed the shoes he wanted. And these guys were part of that group and the guys going to Paris. And so it's kind of cool to meet all those guys and uh, cross pollinate with all of it and and create together and, and be, be a bigger part of the culture. Uh, And that's, what's so magic about all of it. You, you become collaborators and, and friends more than anything. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's, I would love to talk more about the yeah. creation side of it and stuff, but I just,
2: of course, no, God. no, we, we respect it. Stephen, I have one
0: question. We always talk about on this podcast that like owning a pair of Yeezys now is like such like okay. a badge of honor whether it's the 350s (laughs) or the 500s, but it's like, even like when we go home and we're not kind of like in the industry, but we go home it's like you just owning one pair. And I know that you wear the Wave Runners like nonstop, you beat them, you do lace swaps. If you could give like one Yeezy to own or one of your everyday wears, what would you like recommend? It doesn't have to be of all time, but right now, what would you recommend? I mean,
4: I. I like the wave runner for the comfort because that's what you were after. Mm -hmm. It was a comfortable shoe that legitimately had running DNA. I mean, Mm. if you wanted to, you could go run five, 10 miles. Have you ever run in them? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I ran 5 miles in 350s in wow. Kanye video. <laughs> like, weren't, you, weren't, nice. you, weren't, you,
1: weren't you weren't you like wearing jeans and running in Yeezys at one yeah. point?
4: What? <laughs> Steven. He sent me the high five. He sent me the high five emoji This like, is the future. We can't be running in jeans. We need <laughs>
0: you in the Bape kid Cuddy hoodie next with the with the wave
4: runners <laughs> running. <laughs> Zipped up. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny. I I, I posted that picture. Just you know, I like Cuddy. He's, yeah. he's awesome. He's a cool guy. Uh, I, I like the bape stuff and if I was going to get one bape thing uh, why not get something that is, is a guy yes. you respect a and friend who likes your design yep. so I got that one and I posted that picture on my Instagram and it was funny there's this great uh, IG account called uh, Boston Be A Man and it's pretty pretty freaking funny it's stand up comedy uh, and I posted some comment on there and some like 20 year old punk kid was like yo what are you doing wearing beast shit? Wearing that <laughs> stuff as a fifty-year-old man, dude, be a man. In there, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like I can, I can, I, I got news for you. I can wear it. Love it. <laughs> I love it. Dude. And you, and you were off by about six years. So I'm like fifty-six. So it's even Been better.
1: <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> I, I I love. That you've kind of like taken on another life though with the whole fit pick game. I, w- I was joking around with the guys before the shoot that you kind of have like uh the family matters when Steve Urkel goes to Stefan, uh alter alternate, alternate persona where you where you throw on the head-to-toe fit and let the let these kids know how to hook up the sneakers on the internet. Like, what's the reaction that you've gotten out of besides the cuddy, but like from the fit picks on IG,
4: yeah, it's kind of funny. That's one of the first ones where anybody had anything talking shit. I mean, most of them like them because I mean um, they want to see how someone involved in the creation process kind of give them together. the blueprint. Yeah, and, yeah, and and some of it is stuff I see that inspired me for some of those products. You know, um, safety gear. That's I, I did the orange seven hundred minivan. I love that one. (laughs) Tresser and I worked on together. And I saw this rain suit at the motorcycle store and I'm like, dude, that's the perfect hookup for that shoe. I got to buy it. And yeah, I got motorcycles. So I I put that one on. And and some of that inspiration for that was we were way into safety gear. And and, uh, when we were in Chicago and because we went to visit manufacturers there of stuff just to be inspired and you know, when we got there, Kanye was like, Bro, just go experience the city. Uh, don't even, you don't have to draw anything right now. Just go soak it in. So I did. And I went and visited like safety gear manufacturers and stuff. And and some of those things become infused into the DNA of what we're about because it's what he's about or interested in at that time. And you can see where it infused in, into the product. So to me, it was like, That's the hookup, you know? And, uh, it was a great. I think it was a great fit. Definitely,
1: <laughs> Stephen. Last thing I just want to ask you is that I know you have the shoe right behind you, the four hundred and fifty uh-huh. newest Yeezy this year. Like you said, it's kind of like disruptive design. Some people say they look like dumplings for your feet. <laughs> um, what's I mean, what's your reaction to that shoe being so, you know, kind of disruptive in the market at this point? Did you think that was going to happen?
4: Oh, of course. You know, it's very different. And you saw the reaction to people when the early teases were out. But, you know, people were interested in it. You saw when when Kanye did the Forbes article with the rings of the prototypes Mm -hmm. and kids were zooming in on every variation they could see on it, wondering which one was it going to be. And. You know that's part of the the fun of all of it is the mystery and what show me something I've never seen before. That's yeah. the challenge mm-hmm. I always give the young designers, um, and it was something people hadn't seen before. But why? I mean, why do just another Air Force One or something when you can do something where people are like, "What is that?" It still works. I mean, it's it, it's a sculptural piece at this point more than just a a sneaker you know and that's what's so cool about it is we 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 do create art i got an art degree why wouldn't i create art and what i do um and what kanye does you know and that's what we're about we're about art disruption uh things people have never seen before and that's that's what we bring to it
2: steven i gotta ask you about one more sneaker too the Hello Kitty uh-huh. Nike Air Presto. I believe you worked on that shoe. Is that right?
4: <laughs> oh yeah. Okay.
2: We we don't have to go into the full breakdown of, of of the history of the sneaker, but I'm hearing some rumors that the sneaker is coming back next year. I, may, I may, maybe rumors is a mischaracterization, oh, I don't know. but I don't know but what they'd tell me. <laughs> I believe the shoe may be coming back next year. I don't I don't need you to confirm it, but are you excited about that? Are you going to get a pair?
4: Yeah that that'd be pretty sweet. You know, hopefully they'll give me a pair. You need to be first
2: in line for the Hello Kitty Presto Retro. Yeah, if it happens, I can't confirm it. If it happens,
4: you know, it was funny that that particular project. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a dork. I brought my lunch every day in a Hello Kitty lunch bag, and I would get a different one whenever I would see it at the Japanese store or Awajimaya. Yeah, I would go to Awajimaya, get it there. There was there was a little place in the Beaverton Mall called Share a Smile that was a Sanrio store. Um, they had the the uh, the little kit lunch pa- lunch packs, and I would make my lunch in that. And, and uh, um, yeah, so when it came time in in Japan, Sanrio was doing a 35th anniversary of Hello Kitty, like her 31st birthday or whatever, and they asked a bunch of different companies to do some kind of product for it, and that was kind of the origin of it. And Mark Parker knew that I. Love Sanrio <laughs> stuff, and I love Japan. Said, Get
2: the guy with the Hello he, Kitty lunchbox on this one. <laughs> that. the guy.
4: He came up, and he was like, "Hey, steven would you be interested in in working on this?" He goes, "I, you know, you always have all the Hello Kitty stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, that'd be kind of fun." So with Keiko Kanishi, who was my uh, developer for Nike Japan, she she acted as the interface into Sanrio. And uh, I went off and I started to bust out a bunch of illustrator drawings of variations of Hello Kitty and twisting the graphic and being very literal. And uh, Hiroshi did one that was just the characters and he just sent me a graphic sheet of that. So I rearranged it and I applied it to the shoe and, and then I did the about 10 other different ones that were original designs that I came up with. And I think we sampled seven of them and then uh Sanrio picked like four or five that they went through with and they were supposed to make five hundred, I think, of each of the different mm-hmm. styles. And it turned out that it it didn't work out that way, that they only did, you know, somewhere between ten and twenty-four pairs of Super each rare. style. So yep. that's why they became so coveted. And and I had I had the samples of the ones that they didn't even make the 10 or 12 of um and i you know I, since it's illustrator i i have all the og files for the hello kitty graphics and the shoes so it was kind of it was it was a really fun one i mean i never knew it was going to become this like cult madness behind it
2: well, uh, well hopefully you get a new pair if 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 they come out
3: yeah
4: yeah, yeah and you know and one of the fun things i got at a was the, uh the Hello Kitty waffle maker and it's shaped like Hello Kitty's head <laughs> and you open it up and inside are four castings. One's Mimi, which is Hello Kitty's sister. Yeah. Hello Kitty, uh, my melody. And, uh, I can't remember what the, the, the bears, is, but it was, no, no. Botsmaru is a penguin. It was the bear. <laughs> I, don't know, man. I, don't know. I never I, knew I, what I animals wish... they were. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't think it's not pump pump Purin, but it's, you know, boss Maru was my favorite. I would have been giddy if he was in the waffle maker, but he wasn't. And, uh, so once a year I would bring in the hello kitty waffler unannounced. Uh, I would get to Nike at like six forty-five, and I would make all my pancake batter before I left home. And I would make and and of course, cause I was out here, all the maple syrup was from, uh, canada and which is like no it's got to be vermont maple syrup yeah so my mom would send (laughs) me a big thing of maple syrup from yeah that's right my mom sent me a big thing of maple syrup from vermont (laughs) and once a year i would make everyone in me a ham who would go by for like two hours i would get out my hello kitty waffle maker and i would make hello kitty waffles for anybody going by and uh it kind of became like this little famous thing in there. People are like, when are you going to do it again? That's history right like, there. That is history. Uh, uh, I was like, it's, it's, uh, it's my determination when I will do it. It's not a fixed date. It's just when I feel like it <laughs> Yes. once a year. And that night I would send out a, just a, an email yeah. to everybody that just said meow and, and, <laughs> the next morning. If, If you remembered what it was, you would get delicious Hello Kitty waffles with Vermont maple syrup, the only kind to have. Well, yeah, who would would have thought the guy on? Who would have thought? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, Listen, Stephen, we can't thank you enough for taking the time. Uh, So many great stories to share. And we hope we could do this like every six months because
2: we know
4: that you're always creating. So thank you so much.
2: Thanks, Stephen. Oh
4: yeah, you know, uh, there's lots of fun stuff going on, lots of cool stuff going on, lots of people I've influenced to influence yeah. me. You know, lots of you know, one one of my favorites right now, you know, is Charlotte Lee doing the the, the 327. Okay, yeah, yep. and yeah. This this one's awesome because it's the Jolly Rancher one. It was the one I had to have. Uh, so she's she's. Making me proud, carrying forth the awesome the New Balance lineage, uh, and and so it's cool. Like I said, it's cool to inspire these these young kids to create. And like I like I always say, it's um, it wasn't really a career at the time. It was something new that you know those people like myself, Kilgore, Tinker, Wilson, Smith, we made it interesting enough for people, other people, to want to do right. it you know made it cool and fun because we were all fucking whacked (laughs) in our head and we 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 made it fun and uh it's fun and you know the the other thing you know my my parting words are i never once on a job description saw ass kisser Mm. uh but silently uh in invisible ink was ass kicker Mm. and so that's what i became and waffle maker And Waffle Man. Hello Kitty Waffle.
0: Perfect. Well, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Thanks again. And uh, we hope to hear from you soon.
2: Appreciate it, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. So many stories. I I don't
4: get to critique any designs this time. No, not this time. (laughs) I was looking forward. (laughs) I was looking forward to that. We'll we'll
2: send you some via text.
4: (laughs) Take care. Thank you guys so
0: much for watching. We are actually off next week, so we will see you guys in two weeks. Make sure you like and subscribe and have a great weekend.
1: That's all, folks. Our producer
0: is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jen Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.